Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 45 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. This is take two. The first one got buggered up on us a little bit. My neighbor rang the doorbell, but uh, I brought my friend Brad Dieter on for this uh, return to the podcast. Previous guest multiple times under the old format, but uh, first time appearing on new format where I'm solo hosting it. It's great to have you back, brother. It's great to be back. And uh, it's Great to know that I'm going to see you here in a couple of weeks in person too. So I'm, yeah, we're going to talk about pumped. that. I can't wait for that. So if anybody isn't following or doesn't know much about Brad, and they should be, um, he is he has a PhD in exercise physiology and is the chief operating officer and co-owner of Macros Inc., which is a really successful nutrition coaching company. And uh, you know, it's a lot of great coaches under that umbrella, a bunch of friends of mine. So uh, you guys are a good crew. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun thing to be a part of, especially, I mean, the last probably year and a half has been some crazy growth and uh, very thankful for the people you've handed over to us. They've been great additions to the team and uh, we're having we're having a ton of fun. So that's that's the best part. Yeah, you scooped up a whole bunch you, when you reached out and asked me for some recommendations. I know that uh, Colin and Allie DeWolf are you know, friends of mine here in Alberta. They're based out of Medicine Hat and own a gym, Back Alley Fitness. So they were really thrilled to do it because obviously with the lockdowns, you know, screwing with a lot of people's primary livelihoods. And uh, yeah, I know there were several, so I'm really glad they all worked out. Yeah. You know, that was uh, one of the most rewarding parts I think about the last year of work was, you know, we were already positioned to be online. And so there's a lot of people who were trying to figure out how to make that transition for themselves. And we already had a platform. So we were able to give people jobs, especially during a tough time. So that was, that was super rewarding. Yeah. Abundance mindset. I'm all about that stuff. Right. Yeah. And of course, like you said, if you're able to scoop up a lot of really talented people who, you know, were underutilized during all this stuff, it's a great opportunity for your company and allow you to grow. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned how I'm going to see you in a few weeks now. So you and I are both presenting at the Inland Empire Fitness Conference. I'm a late sub in for Greg Knuckles who couldn't make it, but I'm honored to be uh, in the lineup. I know you've been, you know, I think you've presented every year it's been in, in existence. Yeah, I was uh, the one of the original founding speakers many moons ago. God, that feels like a long time ago. That would be you and James Krieger. And I guess uh, Charlie McMillan probably was part of that too, right? No, huh? I think he was year two or three, maybe. Maybe okay. year three. Yeah. I know our friend Tim Arndt absolutely loves Charlie. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope he's I hope he's coming this year. He's a great guy. He's in the lineup. Yep, he is. Oh, Along sweet. with people like... Uh, our friends Jeb Stewart Johnston and Sarah Ashman and Melody Schoenfeld are all speaking. So there's a few more. And Tara Arndt, Tim's wife. Yeah, you know, it's going to be uh, weird. I have to, this will be like my first big outing with people in like the last year and a half. You know what I mean? So it'll be, I'll have to get my my social skills back. I've been a, I've been a recluse in my office just talking to people. So I'm going to have to be like, Oh yeah, here's how you talk to people in real time without the Zoom delay or the ability to like turn your screen off. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see how I, that goes. And I guess this is one of the appeals. I wanted to ask you, you know, what you would say, well, what you have planned, but also what, um, why people should consider attending an event like this because I think there's a, certainly an appetite for it right now. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons, and I think there's a lot of reasons for a lot of different people. Um, you know, early in my career, going to things in person was a great way to connect with people that you otherwise would have never been able to have a conversation with, right? If you send somebody an email, 
they may not get back to you. But if you meet with them in person, you sit down and have lunch with them, like you really make a connection with people. And so you can really kind of help build a network in your career, um, you know, especially in our industry. What, and then I think, you know, as you maybe get more established or you, you kind of get past those initial things is when you, when you go to events like that and you meet people who are super successful, right? People who've built multi-million dollar empires or made, you know, big names for themselves, kind of two things happen. One is you realize what's possible, um, which I think when you run into those people in real life, it makes a big difference. And then two, you realize they're just people, right? Like we're all, we're all just people <laughs> like sit down and you have a conversation with them and we're all cut from the same cloth. Really. Um, we're all humans. We all have our own stuff. Um, and you kind of start to realize like, Hey, this is achievable. And these people are really no different than me. And so if they can do it, I can do it. And I think those are, those are the two biggest reasons why I think going to those things is super helpful. That's certainly been my experience. First one I attended would have been, you know, big ones certainly would have been the Kansas city fitness summit, uh, 20 in 2017. I met a lot of very noteworthy names in the industry. You know, whether people like Mark Fisher and Pete Dupuy, who are really well-respected perhaps, you know, on a, on a smaller scale, or, you know, someone like Sohi Lee and Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, who are very, very widely well-known in the industry. Greg Knuckles was there, just mentioned him and so many other really awesome people. And very much what you just described happened to me. I went down there and I knew Dean Somerset, you know, Dean's here from Edmonton. I've done a lot of his continuing education. He was presenting and my friend, Hannah Gray, who's also been a previous podcast guest. And then I met our friend Tim Art. That's actually how I connected with Tim that ultimately led to this opportunity four years later. But I met a whole bunch of other people. Again, Sarah Ashman and Jeb Stewart Johnson, who were both presenting at this conference. I met them for the first time. And the list goes on and on about of, of really awesome, well-respected, and sometimes you know lesser-known people in the industry or people who've gone on to great, uh, great brand, like a Carter Good, for example, or Eric Buck. Those guys were at that first one. And I then turn that around to, and I've talked about this lots on the air. So anybody who's a longtime listener has heard these stories, you know, going to Luca Hosevar's event in Seattle uh, later in 2017, I'm going to go again this September. He's doing it again. And yeah, I, it inspired me to see what was possible with my career, created an enormous array of connections that have been super supportive along the way. And in those four years, a lot of really cool stuff's happened. This podcast started not super long after, you know, the Kansas City Fitness Summit. Yeah. And if I were to ask you this question, you know, what do you think sets apart the people that have, you know, reached a level of success, let's say like professionally, um, that's above what most people would consider like being a normal functioning adult with a job that pays you money. Right. Um, what do you think are the, the personality traits and, or the skill set that sets those people apart? There's a whole lot of dimensions because, you know, you're talking about the broad spectrum of the guests I've had on a podcast before. I think there is work ethic is a very big component to a lot of the people who've gone on to great success. They are tireless workers. You know, I mentioned someone like Luca Hosevar, you know, he's a great example of, you know, putting work ethic on display and he might be a bit extreme. You get abundance mindset through and through people who celebrate the successes of others. They're willing to highlight those other people, you know, shared um, success across the industry. And, you know, nobody does this stuff alone. Most of the fitness professionals that I know of, and I've gone on to, 
you know, meet and, and many become friends because someone else shared them. They were on somebody's platform, whether it's, you know, someone's Fitcast, like uh, one of my favorite uh, podcasts, the Fitcast, which I really don't know if Kevin's active with anymore. I don't think he is, but for many years, he's having a lot of the who's who of the fitness industry on there. It's how I discovered a lot of people. Or, you know, again, reading publications like T Nation, which is a platform that, you know, has really built the careers of a lot of the who's who of our, you know, at least our corner of the fitness industry. So I think there's those things, but maybe more than anything else, I think there's a willingness to actually put yourself out there. You know, people are not afraid to put in the work. They've, they've written the articles, they've, they've built the YouTube channel, or they've done the podcast, and they've done all this, what I call long form career capital. They've built businesses. I mean, if you look at, you know, Mike Isertel, Nick Shaw and their team with Renaissance Periodization, John Berardi with Precision Nutrition, you guys with Macros Inc., Mike Dola with Stronger You, you know, and you can go on and on. These are like more internet-based companies. And you have people who've built physical gym facilities and build a brand name around it, whether it's Joe DeFranco or again, a Luca Hosovar or I, Mark Fisher, you know, Mark Fisher Fitness in New York. So you have all these pieces of brand and career capital. Um, and there's other people who are a bit, you know, you certainly also have the research-based world, the academic world to a certain extent, and the educational side. So the PhD, again, Mike Isertel, James Krieger, Brad Schoenfeld, and the list goes on and on. Dr. Mike T. Nelson of people who've established career capital with higher level education. I don't think it's necessarily necessary <laughs> But, um, you know, and it's a tough avenue to fulfill those, fulfill that, but it's certainly something that uh, comes with it, uh, credibility and respect. Yeah. And what's always fascinating to me is there's so many different ways to get to where you want to go, right? Like all those people that you named have all built very different careers, um, you know, they've done it, whether it's online, whether it's in person, they've done it from building it from the ground up or joining somebody else. They've built it from a different, you know, some people have done it from social media. Um, some people have done it really without social media. Uh, and so there's just so many different routes to get to where you want to go. And a point about the social media, and I believe this very strongly, and it again, ties into, you know, long career capital, long form content I think you need something beyond just social media, right? I think there's a generation within the fitness industry who think that all you need is social media. And there are some people who do it reasonably well. But if you don't have a website with articles or some other vehicle for long form content, YouTube channels, another good example, for people to dive into, that's a little bit of a deeper dive with, with better information than the superficial little snippets that you get through social media, then I, I just don't think it's enough of a foundation to really build a, a career on. And I don't think someone needs to build an internet company or a physical facility. Those are challenging endeavors for sure. They're certainly you know, credible things to do. And I don't think everybody needs to go back and do the master's or the PhD. You know, it's not a route I decided to take. But I think if you double down on just doing social media well, it leaves a lot of holes in your ability to build a credible brand in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And what would be interesting, I bet if you were to poll the top 50 people you know that have been highly successful, they're like either revenue generation or income 
doesn't correlate with how many social media followers they have, right? Like I know there's several people I know who probably have several hundred thousand people who follow them on Instagram and they make less than the person who has 5,000 followers on Instagram. Like it's, it's just such an interesting perspective of like, especially a lot of the, the newer generation of people, like understanding that the, the career is much different than that number. Not, that doesn't mean those things can't be helpful, but it's, I think a lot of times we spend a lot of energy and perspective, not quite on the right thing. Totally. I was, and I tried not to get swept up in these things, but I was sparring a little bit today with a guy who had, I, I, I assume that he had plagiarized one of my posts. This is actually a very common occurrence. Anyone who sees my social media and I don't get bent out of shape about it. I really don't. Of course, people will probably think I do, but it's more kind of highlighting it and maybe it's sticking up for the industry. You're just showing people, Hey, this is what's happening, but I'll usually go in and this is sort of a Jonathan Goodman you know, idea. I go in, I'll shoot them a message and say, Hey, you know, you, you probably found it this way. You know, you either pretend or assume that they're not the ones who willfully stole your idea. And then they take the text, they cut your name and your image off the little tw Twitter graphics and they just put it up as their own. So this guy with 90,000 followers. So anyway, you know, he turns around and he's like, Oh, he immediately tagged me quick as anything. So that tells me he damn well knew where he got it. But if I'm tagged, then it's not even in the caption. The original image hasn't been restored. So I always ask them, no, please restore the original image because the moment that someone shares this, the tag is gone and long forgotten. It just gets perpetuated across the, the internet. And don't get me wrong, you can't police this stuff. And if people are stealing your stuff, that says it's good. So that's a, that's a positive. But if I find an instance, I try to you know go in positive. And this guy was like, Oh no, man. Like, you know, I don't know why you're being so serious about this. Uh, you know, I already put it up and, you know, into the engagement pod and it's already hit the algorithm and blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, I don't fucking care about your engagement pod. And if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's a bunch of people who artificially get together to agree to share each other's posts to artificially bump <laughs> the engagement on the algorithm. So it's people try to game the system. Now, guess what? Instagram is way smarter than these people are and recognizes this crap. And pretty quickly, I was able to look at a few other things. The guy tried to be a real ass. So fine. Either way, I had people report it and he knew what was coming. So he claims either people report it and it got taken down or he claims that he took it down himself. Um, either way, it's down. And But it was fairly obvious that his engagement levels didn't match his following. So if he's engaging in things like uh, engagement pods, chances are he bought a lot of his followers too. So you're going to see a lot of people, especially on more of the aesthetic side of the industry, who are going out of their way to fabricate their authority by trying to play off that they have larger followings and larger media than they really do. And this is actually quite common. And I, I highlight this not to be like, who's real and who's fake the same way we're like, is that person on steroids or not? No, screw that kind of thinking. It's more about telling the person who's you know, struggling and like, oh man, I only got 2000 followers and I'm really struggling with this. And they're worried that guess what? Following isn't everything. If you, I, I've been leaving the roadmap on how to build it, you know, real following. And so that information is there on the internet, if you follow along and there can be a lot of value if you know how to engage with and build a relationship with those people, but you also don't need it. And don't feel envious of people with larger followings, because while I think the vast majority of people in what I would call the evidence-based part of our community 
their followings are real. You can tell by Sohi Lee's engagement, Spencer Nadolsky's engagement, they're real followings. They built massive followings in 2017 off the wave of infographic popularity when it was easier, right? They're real. But a lot of the other people out there who are more aesthetic based, these followings just don't match their, their like and, and comment counts. So recognize it and then diffuse the, the resentment or the envy that you might be tempted to feel when you see an account that seems to be doing better than yours. I promise you they've skipped some steps and it's fake. Yeah, and we we live in an era where I don't know if people really do the math on what it takes to get to where they want to go, right? Like, I, I think about if I'm just looking at the numbers on a business, let's say I want to run a super successful company and I'm in the online health space, right? If I want to, if I want to build a five million dollar a year company and I charge 150 bucks a month a client, right? How many total clients do I need? Like, I don't know. You need like 2,800 clients, which is a that's a lot of people, but you don't need a hundred thousand followers to get there, right? It's like if you can figure out how to build a sales system, build a business, connect and get 2,500 people, you're basically there, right? So you can, you can have these massive careers and results without falling into that game. And it's, there are two completely different things, right? You can spend your energy trying to post stuff that gets people to click on it and share it. Or it's like, Hey, can I get in front of two people today that I can sign up for clients? And then tomorrow, can I get in front of three people? Um, it's just such a different mindset and mentality of what you're trying to do. Absolutely. And this ties into some of the other things I was actually going to ask. I mean, you, again, are an owner of a successful nutrition brand, internet-based company, right? And you are yourself very well respected within what I call the evidence-based, you know, community of the fitness industry. Uh, but you also yourself haven't aggressively or ambitiously sought individual brand or individual, uh, you know, Instagram following. Certainly, I think that Instagram is not the only metric of, you know, someone's following, but nonetheless, you're not, you know, I look at someone like certainly a, a, a Dr. Spencer Nadolsky or a Sohi Lee again, they're a good example. They have built a credible volume of work, you know, great reputations, deeply evidence-based, but they've also courted and embraced a larger following. Yeah. So, but you haven't, would, I suppose, would there be any value in developing that greater personal brand for you, given the fact you already have the role in with Macros Inc. And what would some of the trade-offs be both the time, the effort, and what it would take to maintain that larger brand? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I've intentionally gone the way I've gone um, for, for several reasons. You know, one is to, to answer your question directly, yes, I think there would be a ton of value, right? Is if I spent a lot of time and energy trying to build a, a large audience that follows just me as an individual, um, that's around like a my own personal brand, I think there'd be a ton of value in that. Could I make a lot more money? Probably. Could I be a lot more famous? Probably. Um, but that's never been my my aim or my goal, right? If If I could if I had a magic wand and could cast it, I would have a very large business that helps a ton of people and nobody would know who I am. 
right? <laughs> um, that's that's kind of the the dream, and the reason for that is I'm my sole focus is the work, um, improving people's lives and making an impact on like the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis and the social media metrics in like the personal brand are so like disconnected from that idea that it doesn't really matter to me that much. Um, and the other thing I'd have to give up is I, I honestly don't know how people <laughs> have the, the creativity or the time or the desire or those things to like make memes and take pictures of myself every day. Like I will go, like, I'll look at my phone and I'll go like five days without taking a single picture on my phone. And I'll be like, how do people take 20 a day of themselves? I'm like, that seems just, there's nothing wrong with it. Cause you can build a great business, do it. I'm just like, I have, that's just so not how I'm wired. It's bananas. Well, I talked about this with Jordan site recently on his episode and we talked about how Jordan will sometimes share, again, a, a text graphic with the, you know, the little Twitter circle photo in your name. And then sometimes he'll do one of those, but make it smaller and embed it within a portrait of him. And I know that those share less than just the text-based graphic alone. So a lot of these image-based uh, Instagram accounts, that stuff isn't anywhere near as shareable. And therefore it's not going to create as much reach and bring in new followers as purely informational stuff. And what Jordan's doing, and he discussed this, is he's already got over 700,000 followers and the headaches that comes with that size of a following, it's overwhelming. He's not interested in growing it any larger. It's going to happen anyway, just because of his name and reputation and his stuff gets shared. But he's more interested in strengthening the relationship with the existing people. So honestly, he can serve them, but also he'll be able to generate revenue streams off of you know that, that size of a following. I think Jordan is one of the people who's done it the best. Now, you, you, my friend, are a very good-looking human being, so there probably should be more photos of you on the internet. Anybody, just go and actually look at Brad's profile. He's a good-looking dude. And he's really bashful about it, too, which is why it's really fun to screw with him. Uh, yeah, that's there's, there's been a lot of jokes made at my expense on, on that behalf. So there's, there's a lot of times you'll be in meetings and you'll say something dumb and people will say, well, at least you're pretty. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and you know what's interesting to me is especially if you kind of look at the history of business in general, um, like just not related to our industry and related to our industry is our industry has almost always been about personal branding, right? Like if you think I'm outside, I mean, Jenny Craig, that's a name, right? Um, and then if you look at like a lot of the big companies that have come and gone, a lot of them have been based on a personality, right? And the reason I think that is, is our whole industry is about a personal journey, right? Of like health and fitness is about a personal journey. It's not really about a product. It's not really about anything else, but like a personal journey. So the personal brand is one of the easiest ways to build an audience because you can sell a narrative, right? About your journey, about who you are as a person. And that translates to other people. If you look at anything outside of our industry, what other large companies have been built on personal brands? I mean, outside of health slash fitness and maybe fashion, like very few have been built on an actual person. Now there's iconic followers, but it's their products that they sell. You see it sometimes in media 
I mean, I think of someone like Oprah, but you tend to think of Oprah as less of a brand and more as an individual herself. So yeah. she's celebrity. Like a celebrity. Definitely different. Yeah. 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 So it's, it is kind of one of those interesting pieces of like, I, I think the reason a lot of our industry is based on personal branding is that's just the history of this industry in terms of the business piece. Um, and it's the, it's one of the ways to lower your barrier to starting a company is you can sell a personal journey and a personal brand much easier than you can sell a, a system or a product. It makes me think of a number of examples across the fitness industry that kind of prove both sides of it. You get Eric Cressy at Cressy Sports Performance and, and P2P. They often talk about how Eric, they, they wish that they never used Eric's name on it, but there's no doubt that they did benefit from Eric's notoriety in the fitness industry in their early days because he'd been writing for T Nation and other websites for a really long time. And he's certainly a credible personality. In retrospect, they do wish that they hadn't used that name. And Eric is quite well known. But how many other companies built up very successfully without the founder or one of the founders being seeking the spotlight? So you get, again, Mike Dola with Stronger You. Mike's never really been a spotlight seeker himself. I think Jonathan Goodman certainly built up a pretty strong brand identity, but he's more interested in growing the personal trainer development center and the online trainer Academy versus his own, you know, name. Uh, you look at someone like Nick Shaw, who's uh, Mike Isertel's co-owner, co-founder of Renaissance Periodization. And I think Nick's a quieter personality. I, I think he sort of only reluctantly embraces any attention he's getting. He's now written a book. Mike, has a huge following, but he's also very ambivalent about it. It's almost as if Mike couldn't give two shits about it. And they've really doubled down on having Renaissance periodization as being something great. And they've always fostered the identity, the, the reputation, the identity of their coaches. And even John Berardi, I mean, I think John Berardi certainly has built a, a lot of personal renown when it comes to precision nutrition. But if you look at Krista Scott Dixon and Brian St. Pierre, who are basically his two top lieutenants and pretty much have been running the company for years as John stepped away from it, Neither has sought any sort of personal brand recognition or um, social media following at all. And I, and I think I could go on and on about these types of companies in the industry. And there's lots of examples where people have been willing to make sure that the company was the, was the big thing. Um, the organization that I contract out of, so I mean, I'm, I own my own business. You know, I'm very much a personal brand. But Evolve Strength, which originated in Edmonton, has grown into Calgary. It's going into Vancouver. And, you know, the owner, John Chung, he wants absolutely nothing to do with the spotlight. Very, very introverted, very quiet guy, very business savvy. And he wants to grow and make Evolve the star. And he wants its you know, fitness professionals and contractors under the umbrella to be the stars. People like myself and Dean Somerset, you know, just on a local basis. So, and I admire people who have that strategic vision, vision to build a company. And I think you and Jay, the same thing when it comes to Macros Inc. You guys, there's no ego there. You guys don't want to be big superstars to compete with your company. Or your coaches. Yeah. And the, the interesting part about that is it, it starts to build a different model, right? If you think about, um, and the model that I, the cat's out of the bag, I guess, if you say this, but the model that you try to build is you're trying to build a medical model, right? Of you can have a lot of private practices, right? Like you can have a, you can have, like you run your own private practice, right? Like you're, you're a primary care doc who owns your own primary practice, right? 
or you can be a, a Kaiser Permanente, or you can be a Providence Health System, or you can be one of those things. And then you can have a, a system that has all of the benefits and things like that. And then you have the people who work for that system to provide the healthcare, right? And that's that's kind of what our industry has the options for, right? It's like the, the place that you work, the Evolved, is they're trying to become a Kaiser, right? Um, and there, there's different ways to do that. There's the online, there's the in-person, and they're just very different pieces. And it actually led into something. Now, if you have more continued thoughts on that, please elaborate, but it leads somewhere I was going to go. Um, yeah, no, go for it. Then I can kind of follow up later. Sure. Okay. So you, you, we talk about the same sort of stuff with, through the lens of macros, Inc. You guys hire coaches, you have coaches who are employees. And you know, I often equate stronger you and macros, Inc. Cause I think you guys have a very friendly rivalry in the industry. Everybody's friends as similar in that I've long said it becomes a haven for coaches who are probably more passionate and interested in coaching versus necessarily themselves aggressively growing an individual brand and having to market and sell for themselves. So any sort of thoughts on that? Um, yeah. So when you, when I think about all the people that we've hired and I look at like our Rolodex of coaches and who's the best and who's the worst and things like that is there is a huge amount of talent of coaches who can deliver a world-class service that's better than I can do, right? Like these people are way better at coaching than I am. Um, and they have no desire to be, to have any sort of like personal recognition for their work. They really just care about the service. Um, and, and that's a really cool thing to see. And then on the other side of the equation, right, is there's a lot of people who are great marketers, um, who are very good at building a personal brand and are not great coaches, right? And they don't always go hand in hand, but sometimes they do. And so that's, that's, a, that's one of the cool parts about being able to, to have a team of coaches is you can take these people who are super talented. They've worked very hard to develop a skill set that you know, after, after coaching people for a decade is it's a tough job. Right. Um, and it takes a lot of self-development. It takes a lot of, uh, being able to take criticism and, and grow from it and being very open and being very professional to be able to do these things and take these people and give them a platform that lets them work with a lot of people, um, which they would not have otherwise maybe done because they didn't want to go market and build their own career. Uh, and, and so that's a really cool thing to see is you have, you have the opportunity to give very talented people, good, meaningful work. And I like the way you look at that too. And I suppose, and I'm not like, I, I'm very much on the other end of the spectrum where I'm very comfortable. And in fact, I probably have to operate as an individual. I'm comfortable with the brand building element, the marketing the sales side of things. Uh, but you, with that comes, and I'll admit a certain amount of ego, Right. And I suppose if you had, you know, how many coaches do you have under your umbrella? Uh, we're at about 80. 80. Can you imagine 80 people like me to manage? You don't want to. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, you'd be fine. No, no. 80 of me, that'd be a complete nightmare. Uh, and, <laughs> and anyone who really knows me well knows that I'm not joking at all. Uh, but, you know, again, I think I'm not probably the kind of personality that's going to seek that sort of environment out or 
decide, hey, I'm not going to worry about the media side anymore or what have you. I, I enjoy the effort to be on social media to a certain degree. I mean, it comes with certain headaches too. I, I like writing for these publications that I'm writing for and I, I like this stuff. I'm comfortable with spotlight and attention. You know, I don't, I don't, know, I don't want to say, oh, I crave it and I need it, but I'm comfortable with those elements in addition to loving the coaching work. And that's a number, another important thing too. And it's not to contradict what you said earlier, but it's to also highlight that there's also a lot of really, really good people who've been comfortable with the brand building and the media, yeah. but who are also world-class coaches. And, yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. You know, and again, um, I like to point to people like a Dean Somerset, who and Dean is Dean is a, a you know more introverted personality, but he's certainly done a wonderful job of establishing a, a great reputation and brand name while being a world-class coach. And there's many more. Yeah, that, they're. There are two traits that are not, they don't have to be related, right? As you can fall on either end of either spectrum, right? There's people who are terrible marketers and tele terrible coaches. And there's people who are great marketers and great coaches. And they're, they're all across the spectrum. Um, but yeah, so getting back to kind of the idea we we're talking about earlier is, you know, kind of building the, the health model system, so to speak, is, you know, one of the things that I've, very intentionally set out to do in my career and I'm maybe 10 to 15% of the way into it is we have the opportunity to make a very large impact and a very large shift in the way that healthcare is delivered. Right. If you think about it, we have, I'd have to pull up the stats again, but based on the current like demographic of let's just say the United States, cause the data is pretty simple and clean and the health problems that we currently face and are going to face, we're going to have a shortage of like physicians to actually treat people. I mean, we already have a shortage and the shortage is going to be like several hundred thousand physicians short of being able to just provide primary care to people. Right. And if you think about it, even if you could get every single person who needed that in front of a physician, right. For one 15 minute appointment a year for them to check all your, your labs and do all the basic stuff. There's no time for them to actual do like lifestyle medicine, right? Like what does that involve? Right. It involves how do you change habits around nu nutrition, stress, exercise, you know, other lifestyle pieces, etc. It's very clear that we actually need a health grade system to deliver some of these things at scale to a large amount of people. And it's not going to be physicians who do it because they just don't have the time. But if we're, if we're like very honest, objective professionals, our training standard for what it takes to get a personal training certification and a nutrition certification historically is it doesn't prepare you to do that, right? So how can we systematically over time develop better certifications, better standards, better continuing ed, develop licensures, develop all these things and build these systems of like, whether it's, we start as small businesses like macros Inc um, or, you know, like precision nutrition or, you know, places like that. And we all kind of work together to be like, Hey, in 50 years, a nutrition coach and a personal trainer are now going to be the front line of actual like chronic medicine, healthcare, right? Those are going to be the first people you see falls under the medical model, which has a bunch of problems with, but also a lot of benefits. Like now we can actually start giving these intensive interventions that take months or years of like, quote unquote, coaching to actually solve. 
Um, and so that's kind of the direction that we hope those things are headed. You are the first person to ever insinuate an argument for greater quote regulation in a way that I actually agreed with, because this has come up a number of times. Uh, Dr. Pat Davidson recently put up a post that I, and I respect Pat. I think he's wonderful. I agree with most of what he said, but I kind of very politely rebutted his point. I often find that when coaches are calling for greater regulation in the industry, that's, there's, there's, there's a lot of flaws with this sort of idea. Yeah. And they think that, you know, higher standards of regulation or certification is somehow going to make the Instagram influencers go away, no. which is bullshit. That's never going to happen. These people aren't certified. They're not going to play by the rules. What you just alluded to is what I could buy into creating a system which incentivizes great people and rewards them for building up to that standard. When we approach it is we, we think we want the bad coaches to go away. You'll never make them go away. We have a lot of local Edmonton coaches who are uncertified, totally unqualified to give any sort of dietary nutrition advice, who've done a, you know, either a handful or a career of bodybuilding shows and nothing's making these people go away. So being frustrated, complaining about them doesn't change anything. And I find that the people who tend to grab onto the, yeah, call for regulation argument are generally coaches, and this may sound unkind, who feel entitled to the clients that the Instagram influencers are getting that you haven't done anything to earn and people who have themselves really struggled with brand and business to build a reputation to where they're attracting business. And I suspect the coaches who are busy and consistent aren't even worried about this sort of stuff because they're not threatened by, you know, what some random person is saying on the internet. What you just said creates a really compelling long-term vision for, you know, building a part of the industry out that is better qualified, has a better educational standard. And I can totally get behind that. And that's a total shift because I tend to push back very aggressively at the suggestion of greater regulation. One of my things is, you know, especially if it's a global thing, like let's say the US government got involved and, and set a mandate. Well, we know what happens there. Who rolls up the largest you know, amount of lobbying dollars and decides on what the standard is. And I always like making the joke of, maybe CrossFit is the one that wins out. And all of a sudden the certification standard is, is everything is CrossFit philosophy, which is ridiculous. I mean, I know that is a ridiculous straw man argument, but it's still illustrative of the problem. Do we have NASM, which God, who is it? Oh, Chris Hitchko show up uh, internship. He was trashing them on his media recently for, for shit. Like how they were talking about, you know, having people training on BOSU balls is somehow good. And Chris was just losing his shit. By the way, Chris is awesome. So go check him out. If uh, anyone's not following him, I got to bring him on the podcast. He's super. Or do we get the NSCA? Okay, cool. I vote for probably the NSCA. I think they're probably one of the better ones, right? But we don't necessarily know who's going to be this governing standard. And when people compare trainers to doctors, no, not the same fucking thing at all. That's a, that's a silly comparison. But like I said, I think you've created the most compelling argument to build it out. Don't make it necessarily quote mandatory, but it's if you want to participate in this model, here are the rewards. You can be part of the future front line, which is this hybrid of, you know, preventative medicine, essentially, without being, quote, a, a medical doctor and a fitness habit, health, lifestyle, nutrition. Yeah. And I, and I think that's that's the direction, right, is. If you look at even right now, let's just we won't even fast forward to 50 years from now. Is we have a we have a large chasm of 
what's available and what's needed, right? Is we have a huge need for intensive interventions with well-qualified coaches, right? We have a shortage of physicians who aren't really trained to deliver that type of intervention, right? And we also have a group of people who are maybe, you know, trainers, nutritionists who have no interest in even going in that direction, right? Like we have a lot of bodybuilding physique coaches, CrossFit coaches, personal trainers who they will always have a great career. They'll always have a huge audience. Um, and that's, that's great. We need those people, but there is this kind of area where we need a, we need the ability to be able to provide care and service and coaching that we currently can't. Like if you think about what, and, and it's less of like restricting things to people and more of allowing people to do more work. Like if you look at the guidelines for what you can do as a coach, like if you actually like, especially in the U S and you look at, Hey, here's my scope of practice and what I can and can't do. Like legally, if I have somebody who comes to me and is like, Hey, you know, my, my doctor, here's my labs. I have, you know, low thyroid levels. I have, um, you know, my testosterone is, is low and I have X, Y, and Z your legally binding response you're supposed to give is, Hey, I can't even look at that. Let's go to the gym and bang <laughs> out a set of squats. Right. And it's really like, Hey, why can't we sit down and have a conversation about like, here's some lifestyle things that we can do that'll put you on the right path to go there. Here's some of the interventions that have been tried. Here's some lifestyle modifications. Here's what a coaching program over the next 12 months is going to look like to help you address some of these medical things that have arisen from your lifestyle. Right. We don't have the ability to do that. Physicians don't have the training to walk you through that. They just don't. I mean, in medical school, I've given the lectures for these students. They get the half of an hour on like energy balance and that's it, right? So there's a gap that we as a profession have to build the edifice around to be able to fulfill that. And I keep thinking of, again, I've mentioned Spencer Nadolski a number of times in other contexts, but, you know, I think you're, you're describing, you know, maybe getting a bunch more people like Spencer on the medical side of things is look at the career, the lucrative career he's built for himself. So hopefully more physicians start to embrace it. Unfortunately, it seems like more going the way of Dr. Jason Fung or Dr. Mehmet Oz and selling out and, and writing nutrition books, uh, you know, on bullshit. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's part of the, the, that, that struggle will always be there. And it's the same, it's the exact same thing as the Instagram influencers. We can't make those people go away. So if we're going to complain about it, we better have some sort of valuable solution versus just get caught up in the negativity, the noise, which I think yeah. is just a distraction from, you know, fitness professionals putting their heads down, working on their own business. And again, I'm a big believer in, in growing that brand and reach and, and trying to help more people. And I think yeah. you and I are setting out to achieve the same mission. And I think we're, we're going in two different directions. And I think it's going to be the merger of those two things, the combination of credible evidence-based fitness professionals and coaches growing brand and reach that break through the mainstream audience and compete. And I, I use a Jordan Syed and a Sohi Lee as perfect examples of that. You know, I think that's a valuable course for a lot of the individuals. Yeah. Meanwhile, someone like you is building... And inspiring the architecture of this medical model that can train and build an entire framework of coaches who can serve the demand that we're going to see for that service. Yeah. And, and you need both, right? You, 
you can't have, well, you can maybe have one without the other, but the best way to do it is, is doing it in both fashions. Um, you know, there's, there's always the, the, how do you, how do you deal with all the, the bullshit advice, right? The, the way that I think about it is if you have to write a rebuttal article for every just piece of garbage that gets published, right? Like some terrible book gets published, some terrible Netflix, you're going to spend your whole career just re rebuttaling stuff, right? The other way to do it is just make sure the volume of good information is 9,000 times the volume of the bad information. And eventually it's just going to get drowned out. Like it'll just become so obscure. You can't even find it. So personal brands, uh, big institutions, it's going to take everybody to kind of just slowly pull it all together. And the more macros Inc and the companies we mentioned that are, you know, of similar, you know, concept continue to grow, hire more coaches, get more referral business, have more clients. You're, we're still affecting positively affecting more people. Sure. It feels like a, a drop in the ocean for the number of people who, you know, are being misled by mainstream prop, you know, problem fitness, nutrition information, but I still believe it's growing in the right direction. And if we showcase a, how it's done and incentivize more people to do it and go the, the evidence-based integrity route, you know, I, it, it will add up to something better and better. I would love to believe that our society is going to become more evidence-based over time. I think the events of the last few years have, have proved that's not entirely true, but um, you know, I tend to be more of an optimist than a pessimist when I look at these things. Yeah. And I think the tough reality a lot of us have to face is you're going to have to smuggle in the good information, right? Like you're not going to brute force your I'm, I'm right approach to get people to change their behaviors, right? You, you kind of have to smuggle, you have to smuggle it in. It's like trying to give your dog medicine, right? He's not going to take it. You got to stick it in one of those pill pockets. Like that's just what we're going to have to do. Um, and I think one of the things that this has given me a lot of perspective when I think about like building my own company in this space, Noom, which is, you know, one of the largest companies now they've kind of blown up over the last couple of years. They basically have an app based approach to coaching. That's like supposed to be psychology based coaching. Do you know how many million users they've signed up on other platform? If you had to guess. No clue. I'm weird enough. I'm not super familiar with what they do. So 45 million people and they've, they've raised 690 some odd million dollars to do it. Right. So we know the, if I can raise a bunch of money, spend about $10 a person, I can get 40 to 50 million people to sign up for an app that doesn't really do a whole lot for like actually changing people's behaviors, like objectively speaking. Um, but we know the market's there, right? Do you have the skills and do you have the tenacity and do you have uh, the wherewithal to figure out a way to do that the right way? There's very clearly a market for it. Um, and the numbers are pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Like if you think, I mean, I'm probably missing some, but by my calculation, there's maybe three or four whole companies in all of the... North American continent that do what we do. I guarantee you, we all of us together, because I have a good idea of the, the volume of 
revenue we all generate, we probably have not even a 45th of that size of clientele, right? Like a million clients between those companies would be a huge amount of money, right? That'd be $150 million of revenue should be a billion and a half dollar market cap between all our companies. So that there's plenty of people that we are going to be able to go after. Um, and so if you can build your model and slowly build it that way, I think you're on the right track. I think this has been fascinating. It's certainly enlightened me as to some of my perspective on the future of the industry, because I always try to keep an eye to the future. You know, I think about things like, you know, how artificial intelligence and, and these sort of things will enhance coaches and, 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 based on what you're saying earlier, doctor's ability to process and analyze data more, which, you know, I think in theory, it will free up the doctors to do more of the, you know, the person-to-person the -person care, right? The analysis can be deferred to, to more of the computer systems. And I suspect that'll also play into the coach's hands as well. So the coaches can do what they do best, which is the actual nuanced human uh, relationship coaching side of things. Which, how much, how much training in that do we get? <laughs> You're invariably self-taught through the yeah. books you read, uh, the people that you follow, the the continuing education that you pursue. You know, we both know that any basic entry-level certification, you know, is woefully inept at preparing a personal trainer to be qualified to do any of this sort of stuff. That being said, you know, a lot of really great people have had to start somewhere. They learn and have you know figured out a lot along the way and have helped a lot of people. So it's also one of my other arguments you know, for not trying to raise the barriers to entry to the industry too high, right? Whenever someone tries to advocate for that and arbitrarily saying, nope, you can't come in the industry unless you have like a four-year degree. Well, that's naive. And honestly, I think it's going to filter out. It, it would have kept me out of the industry initially because my formal education is a Bachelor of Commerce degree, not a, you know, a, not a, a Bachelor of Nutrition or Exercise Science. Yeah, in the point you make there, I think, translates to pretty much everything, right? Like I think about um, all of my friends who are, you know, MDs, right? When you when you pass your boards, I mean, it is you are not prepared to practice medicine. Like you have, you're not taught really bedside manner. You don't really have any experience. I mean, it really is. I don't want to say it's the equivalent because it's not quite, but like it's just the bare minimum to make sure like you don't completely screw it up. And then you have to spend 40 years of your career building the skills to be very successful. And so I think a lot of times the criticism that our industry receives that we put on ourselves is you also have to have some perspective of most other places. Like it's the same thing. Like your college degree in finance, your MD degree, your dental degree or whatever it is, um, it's the bare minimum to make sure that you're like minimally competent to not completely screw it up. And then you, to be great, you have to build those skills and it's skills you have to pull from every aspect of life. And I suppose when you put it that way, where a lot of people who get involved in fitness personally pursue it as a personal passion, while it doesn't necessarily prepare you to coach other people. We know lots of examples where that's true. It is a lot of practical experience on movement, nutrition, and lifestyle. So if anything, a lot of people entering the business, getting a, you know, maybe a, a lesser certification, but have a lot of personal experience, but I'll see it, it prepares you surprisingly well. And I think if you're doing it for the right reasons and you continuously learn every step of the way, I think a lot of good coaches come out of that. 
Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, so I've written probably three or four of the major industry certifications or been involved in a huge amount of the writing of them. Um, and all the knowledge you put in there is really what you need to effectively coach people. Right. So I kind of have firsthand knowledge of like, Hey, here's what these people should know when they get done. And that's pretty much what you need to know to be effective. Um, and so everything else is, you got to learn it. Um, and you got to learn it on the job. Like you said, that's part of any other career. Yeah. It's been great talking to you, my friend. I have a client coming in the door pretty shortly. So you All and right. I reconvene this when we get to Spokane. A couple weeks. A couple weeks. Uh, and yeah, for anybody listening, it's uh, August 6th and 7th, Spokane, Washington. And uh, if you are interested in learning more, just shoot me or Brad a message. Um, you know, can give you a link to the registration. Our friend Tim Art is the host. And Tim does a world-class job of making everybody feel like a VIP. And we're talking about an event, you know, I think Tim is, you know, he's really hoping for maybe, you know, 50 attendees in, in the past. I think we've had in the sixties, it's not one of the, the biggest of the big events, but it's intimate. It's got great, you know, professional people like you and James Krieger alone are presenting, which says enough about it. And I've gotten a tremendous amount out of the two years I was able to attend, you know, it was, it was world-class and I'm excited to be invited back. I was going to go anyway, but now I'm being invited back to speak and present and, you know, my presentation will actually be on a whole bunch of stuff about content creation and social media, which is something that people have been asking me a lot of questions about and Tim is interested in. So let's have some fun and share. I'm going to share some ideas, which I hope inspire people to, in whatever path you choose, create greater reach impact on people's lives and, and help your own business be more successful. And I look forward to seeing yours. Right on, buddy. Well, Thank you again. And for everybody listening, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Brad, your Instagram, so people can find you there or any other media you want them to go check you out on. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't even know my, what my Instagram handle is. Uh, I would say the best place to find us is to just go to macrozinc.net. Um, we have, I probably have a lifetime of content on there. Um, we have our NutriWiki. I have a bunch of podcasts on there, a bunch of articles. So you can go there. Um, my Instagram is brad.deer apparently yep. so that's where you can find me and if you want to dig into more brad's had previous appearances and we talk more about uh nutriwiki and you know various other stages of your career and your philosophies and your ideas so go back into the archives go check out i had james krieger on fairly recently and uh and if you guys are finding me for the first time through brad's media you know hopefully you'll check out some of the other stuff and maybe stick around and subscribe for anybody who's been here a while follow me on social media if you're not shoot me a message uh, give me a five-star review. That su that's super helpful. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Brad. All right, buddy. Catch you later. Catch you later.